Hello and welcome to the Ether Podcast. I know that we haven't done this for a while, but I have been gathering a new crew and I'm very happy to introduce some very dear friends of mine who are going to help me talk about the topic of unity. Uh, with me is uh, Johnny Reyes, also known as Pequeño Juan. Uh, he has been in another one of our podcasts, as you remember his story. I saved him from the Amazon jungle and he owes me his life. Uh, also with us is Nathan Figueroa. Nathan Figueroa will play the role in this podcast as a devil's advocate, as he is A, a lawyer, and B, extremely contentious, but that's why we love him. And thirdly, but certainly not least, is the most handsome and successful amongst us, Alberto Figueroa. Uh, and that is true. Everybody's shaking their head right now because it is the truth. And so, uh, so here we are. Just to give you a little bit of background on why this monthly crew is together, I used to do youth ministry, and the very first youth ministry that I ever led had both of these three kids who are now grown men in it, and uh, we have uh, developed a friendship uh, that is very dear and precious to me. Uh, they hate me themselves, but I love them. And uh, so I think we have had many adventures, and also we love talking about spiritual stuff, and uh, that is why we're doing this podcast together. And today, uh, we are talking about the topic of unity. Uh, if you have seen some of our videos, we've released two videos on this topic. And this is just uh, a little bit of a deeper discussion on the topic. I think this is a topic that's extremely important right now. As we are living through really divided times, uh, we are in the middle of a pandemic and an election year and uh, certainly a racially charged time. And I think all of these topics are creating a great degree of discussion that a lot of people disagree on. And uh, so we are here to basically talk about how all of this affects the church and how to keep unity in the church. And uh, more than anything today, the first thing that we want to discuss is how uh, unity ultimately doesn't come down to us agreeing intellectually or even politically, but it really comes down to uh, us uh, being conformed to Christ. And I would like to sort of open uh, with you guys and just really ask you the question like, uh, do you, in your experience, feel just like me uh, that a lot of this this unity that we're experiencing as a country has sort of sipped into the church? Yeah, I, I can take that. I think um, I think certainly like this year, uh, 2020, has just been a year of great revelation, um, and I think things have been exposed. And I, I think with everything sort of surfing, surfacing in terms of racial tensions, I think have brought them a lot closer to home uh, than I'd ever experienced before. I mean, I was not unaware that we had racial issues or a history of racial issues in this country. I think it always felt a little bit like it was some event or some thing that happened way out there. But this year has just really exposed how, how much uh, people that I know very well have, have experienced, um, you know, they have their own stories of discrimination or uh, things that have happened to them. Uh, and then, you know, obviously, um, minorities in the church. And then I think on the other end of the spectrum, um, you know, I have a lot of close friends, myself included, that are just contending with 
realizing that I think this a lot of racial issues, for example, are maybe a lot deeper than than we initially realized. Um, so with, with that being said, I think has brought it to a place where it's it is my relationship with it is impacting my relationship with my brother uh, in the church, and it's not a um, a separate thing that's that's outside of the church and just how much we are influenced by our culture, um, you know, right. whether, you know, very much so um, not our own doing, but we grew up in, a, in this culture and we're influenced it, by it and we're, we're shaped by it. And there's no, uh, there's no escaping it, unfortunately. Um, so, yeah, I think absolutely. And I feel like this year has just, has just really brought that to the surface. Yeah. You know, you uh, you actually bring up something interesting, and I and I uh, so every time I do a video, I try to keep it pretty short. So there's a lot of things that I'm thinking that I don't necessarily put it on there, but I do I do think that there's a lot to be said about um, sort of what's cultural and what isn't, and I think a lot of the um, like I've had this discussion about the fact that. Um, we can disagree. And, and let me say this. I, I do think that sort of like all of the ideological and political things that we're discussing are really important, right? Like especially sort of given the climate that we're in right now, they're super important topics to talk about. And yet when I say that it's important and that I say that I, we can also disagree on those things, I think it makes people uh, sort of not necessarily marry the two ideas, because I think if it is something that's important, people tend to believe, hey, like we have to agree on this. And I think because the reason why I made the video uh, about sort of this whole idea that unity isn't based on uh, uniformity, meaning that we all have to believe necessarily the same thing or have the same ideas, but is based on conformity to Christ is because I think no matter what, if you are a Christian, you cannot disagree with the fact that uh, ultimately Christianity is about being like Christ. And so, interestingly enough, and we'll get to this later, but I think uh, ultimately what made me land on that idea was uh, how Paul addresses the topic of unity. And ultimately, that's where uh, he makes people arrive at. You know, like he ultimately guides people towards this idea of uh you know, A, not judging people, and B, sort of uh, what really matters is is Christ. So, Johnny, any thoughts? Yeah, no, I, I think I would uh, agree with a lot of what Beto said. It's, it's something about this past year that it's felt like the political conversation, the cultural conversation has become so intense and it has, in many ways, just I feel like it's consumed just about everybody. Everybody has an opinion, and it's a strong opinion. Uh, and because of that, it just plays a part in the lives of everybody, certainly their religious walk with God and, and, and community and all that. Being a minister this past year, I feel like I've, I've seen it to a certain degree from, like, the front lines where— um, 
there's an expectation for the for for the you know spiritual leader or whatever to um, be the voice of a lot of the people, or, or at least to bring up a lot of the conversation and 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 feeling like they're two extremes pressuring. Uh, me to speak about it in a certain way or pressuring the church and the staff to speak about it in a certain way. So just being able to see just the, the two extremes on each side of the, of the spectrum really wanting you to represent them or represent... And what's been so... I don't want to say it's never been this way, but, but what's crazy is that our, our politics in this country are so tied to our morals, and because it's so tied to our morals, it's so tied to our religion, it's so tied to our doctrine and our beliefs and, and what we think is right and what we think it's wrong. Uh, and, and whenever, you know, a Christian is expected to stand for what they believe to be right in the eyes of God, I mean, they, they're passionate about it. And, and, and to them, it's, 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 about, it's about sin, you know, it's about righteousness, um, so when you have people who have those same convictions about sin and righteousness, but they're holding on to beliefs that are completely on the opposite ends of the spectrum, I mean, you just have a really volatile environment. Um, yeah. So it's absolutely, I mean, it's totally seeped into the church. You have a lot of uh, feelings attached to that, you know, uh, people, I think, losing a lot of respect for their brother and sister in Christ, believing that they're... Mm convictions on, on, on righteousness aren't quite to the standard of Christ. And so, yeah, it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think it's absolutely seeped in, in in a really strong, divisive way where there's a lot of tension between brothers and sisters. Yeah. You know, um, it, it's interesting because, um, so for, for those of you who don't know, I live in uh, South Carolina. Um, which has a, a lengthy history in this country of a, a lot of racial tension and a lot of uh, racist history. And um, I think what I find fascinating is is the fact that um, there are a lot of cultural forces at play in this. And I, I think ultimately um, the first video that we made on this series was simply talking about sort of like how unity in the church is not just a nice idea like it's unity is supposed to be central to the church like it's supposed to be something that is part of the church and uh the reason why i made the second video is because i think ultimately like anytime i talk about unity people inevitably go to the to the place of like uh we have to agree on everything and we don't like that is not unity and when you make unity about uh what it is which is being conformed to christ right when you make it about that, I think the the idea of respect and honor and affection and uh, all of those things like becomes really important. Uh, when I when I made and and you know it's interesting because when I made the first video, uh, somebody left a comment on there, basically saying like, "Hey, I hear you, but how do I?" Uh, build unity with someone when when they were talking specifically about the politics of it all when i feel like my guy is right and the other person's guy is wrong and basically like that question really hit home because i was like yeah like how do you how do you even begin to do that right and i think ultimately where you begin is in understanding that there is a certain behavior especially 
we're talking about the church, right? There's a certain behavior that is expected that we're supposed to show one another, to show other members of the church, uh, no matter what. And that is that is what it means to to be a Christian. And I'm not saying that we just have to force our way into like loving people, and specifically in, in the context of Romans, right? Paul talks about uh, hospitality. He talks about loving one another. He talks about honoring people. Um, he talks about like serving people. And but in many ways, like beginning there, like really beginning there, like looking at someone that you disagree with and saying to yourself, you know what, like, I'm not going to go and have this discussion with this person, but I'm going to serve them. And I'm going to invite them to my house. And I'm going to make him a great meal. And as much as we can, we're going to avoid having this conversation and talk about other things, because there are other things in this world, right? Uh, but I think, like, that's where we need to begin. Like, I feel like right now, though, the environment is so charged that it's almost like you meet someone, right? And you almost want to ask them, do Black Lives Matter? Like, tell me right now, do Black Lives Matter or are we trying to make America great again? Like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? And, and, and again, like, there's all these assumptions that we're walking into with people. You know what I mean? All these and, – and, for example, as soon as somebody tells you, like, hey, like, I'm a Trump supporter – there is a river and a rush of ideas that you have about that person as soon as they say that. That you just go, oh, no, like here we're in trouble. But that's because like we have given such importance to this stuff. And again, I'm not saying that it's not important. But what I am saying is that there's something that matters more, which is the unity of the church. And ultimately, right, I think when we – when the reason why we care about all of this stuff is because we want to we want to see change happen. And I think the trap, like one of the traps in all of this is to is to think that by trying to win every single argument, we're going to create change when in reality what really could possibly create even more change than that is is a unified church. Because a unified church is a great agent of change. And so instead of like walking into all these conversations and walking into all these situations with the idea of like, I'm going to have this argument and I have to win it. If we walk into those situations with the heart of, I'm going to try to create as much as unity as I can, I think it changes the dynamic of everything. And I think a big part of this conversation is very much about like, how do we change this dynamic that we all feel and that we all perceive? And then many ways, like we've all, we've all experienced. Yeah, I'll say something. You know, I think um, I think it's been a really interesting year, and and so many. Honestly, like I, I um, it's funny. I, I read uh, Revelation earlier this year, and uh, just kind of studied a little bit about about apocalyptic uh, literature, and um, it, it really at the heart of that. Uh, genre is 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 the idea of, of revelation is the idea that you there's this experience this moment in time that just opens your eyes in a way and you see things in a completely new way and whereas I think I'd always you know not uncommon to I think a lot of people revelation just seemed kind of out there and 
um, seemed very like hard to attain or hard to like understand. I think it made me appreciate it in a way that I, I think revelations happen time and time again. I feel like this year was a a, a revelation moment. I think with with all the the things with all the race issues really surfacing and. Um, and obviously the pandemic and things like that. And I think one of those things that have been revealed to me is, is how, how much we're not unlike um, just about everybody in the Bible, um, how much we're not unlike uh, the, the people Paul is talking to. You know, he's, he's, he's speaking to people from very different ethnic Backgrounds that are bringing with them um, very charged ideas of, you know, right and wrong or customs, and yeah. uh, is is really dealing with these things that um, I think we're dealing with today. And uh, I think what's been what's been happening through this, I feel like the concept of the kingdom and the supremacy of God's kingdom, the supremacy of of Jesus uh, and his his lordship, I think has become. I just see that in a new light now. Like I, I think I get that now, where maybe I didn't fully appreciate it before. But when you're talking about, um, you know, something that made me really that stood out to me of what you're saying from the comment in the YouTube the YouTube comment, the guy was saying like, you know, what do I do? What do I do if my guy is I agree with my guy and don't agree with his guy. And I think where my mind goes is as Christians, you should only have your guy One should guy. be clearly defined. And, right. and that's Christ, uh, you know, and that's the, uh, you know, you made him Lord and, you know, that's supreme. And when we talk about the kingdom, uh, especially how it's talked about throughout the Bible, uh, it's talked about a an eternal kingdom, you know, and and kingdoms will come and go, and and we see that, you know, Babylon left and Rome left, and since then there's been other kingdoms to rise, but 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 they come and go. The one that continues is 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 God's kingdom, and so you know, I think I think that's where we have to be careful is you know being influenced by our culture. We're we're put in a place where we, um, you know, our our identity, our you know, what's normal for an American to do is to choose a you know their political preference, and you know I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with engaging in in the political, but there is something wrong when you know you're you're elevating um, that preference uh, to a level that I I think. As a Christian, you should not be, and and where it puts you in a dangerous place, where um, it divides you in such a in such a way between you and your brother that um, you know you're, you're forgetting that first and foremost, what brings you together is Christ, and that's much more supreme than than anything else. Yeah, yeah, I I think the two keys that I get from what you guys are getting that I think is so important about this conversation is this one key, the idea that the kingdom is supreme and Rodrigo saying that like, there's something that's more important 
And this has been applying and has, has been so fruitful in so many areas of my life is that there's so many conflicts at so many tiers and scales and levels that are resolved when you take enough steps back. And I think what we're doing here and I think what the church is doing and what I'm doing and the people I'm surrounded with is that we're like face first in this issue when we take a, a few steps back. And that's just what's necessary to understand the overall scope. Like how does the world really exist? The world doesn't really exist in political systems and different countries that are sovereign nations. The world exists as God and people and sin and righteousness. That's how the world really exists. And I think unity, in my opinion, unity in the church is, is a multifaceted, many splendored thing. There's so many issues that I think that contribute to what it means to be unity. And I think where it starts, I think, is the second key that Rodrigo talked about. Look, I don't know how to agree with you. I don't know how I, I don't know how I can look at you and and you know, be in this conversation when I just think morally or I think factually, logically, you're incorrect, but I'm just going to serve you. Like it's, it's, I, I think agape is designed, that sacrificial, intentional decision love, not the emotional love, that that love is designed by God to have an otherworldly effect. It's, it's, it's described as a form of evangelism. Like by our love, you right. will know that God exists. By our love, you will know that you know, we're disciples of Jesus, that, that agape is supposed to overcome and do things that just aren't supposed to make sense. And I think that first step is absolutely agape and focusing that agape. I think another issue with unity and why, why you know, to the first question of have you seen the unity bleed in? I have. I've seen, I'm, you know, I keep under 50 friends on Facebook so that my newsfeed is not clogged and I only see the people that I want. And also, I'm friends with the adults in the church that used to babysit me. And these adults that I've never seen be active on Facebook, ever. <laughs> Man, all of they're them. On there all, all of the time, them yeah. come alive. They come alive and they're posting these things. And then there's comments where they're friends with other Christians where it's like, like, bro, I don't think you know what you're talking about. It's like, whoa, like this is very public. Like in our own spheres, the world's eyes is on the things that we see and to be set apart. And I have so many thoughts and somebody's going to have to cut me off at some point. But I think I think one of the integral issues with unity and why we're struggling is I think people are identifying each other with political opinions. Yep. And in general, that's how life works. That's the psychosis of a society. But in my opinion, it seems like the Bible, I, it seems like we're supposed to identify ourselves by Christ. Yeah. You know, and I think that's the overall picture. If we take a step back, like I think tying that together, it's like your identity is Christ. My identity is Christ. You can have different political opinions and we can have different. And then obviously this calls into question, well, what if a political opinion is biblically immoral? That's a different conversation that I would love to ask a question about. But but the identity is Christ, and I think that's why people get on Facebook and they see brothers and sisters that they have broken bread with before and they've raised their kids together and they say, bro, I don't think you know what you're talking about. It's because they share one opinion about protests or riots, and then they think, you know what, you don't think that this class of people are important. That's your identity, but that's not our identity. And it, it's this retooling, and, and it's, also, it's awesome because every single thought that I have this is in one way, shape, or form influenced by a conversation that I've had with all three of you. And this idea of like retooling our brains to think and identify each other as a, in a different way when the world 
teaches you that your identity is is what you espouse. It's the way you walk. It's the it's it's the political opinions you have. It's the friends that you're surrounded with. And being a creature of another kingdom. It's something right. I learned from Johnny's series on on uh, transfiguration and being and the Holy Spirit and what its actual effect is. As citizens of an alien world, in this world, it's a completely alien way to identify. Like, look, you have all of us have completely drastically different cultures, opinions, political stances, but we're the same because our identity is in Christ. And I think, in my opinion, I think that's one of the hearts of where people go wrong because they stop identifying each other by Christ. Yeah. And then there's, you know, you give up on agape, which is obviously always the first step, yeah. in my opinion. You know, I think, uh, Nathan, what you just said sort of uh, makes me want to take, like, uh, just a, two steps back because I do think that this, this part of the conversation is super important. Uh, one is um, sort of really being sober as to who or what, if you will, is driving their narrative, right? And two is really understanding the stakes. Because I keep hearing, like, in the media, from people, all of this stuff, right, that, uh, that the stakes are high, right? And... And that is is sort of the the narrative here, like that that the the narrative is like the the soul of America is on the line here, right? And I've heard that so many times, and I've seen it on Facebook, and I've heard it in the news, and all this other stuff. And I think it it it's at at, at face value, it's a really alarming statement to say like the the soul of the of the nation is is on the line here, but. My thing is, when has not that been the case? Like, when has the soul of America not been on the line? Because in as far as God is concerned, and as far as, like, people coming to understand the gospel, and in as far as people being saved, the soul of America has always and will always be on the line. Right? And... In that sense, the the stakes are super high. Like if we're talking about like the the legitimately, not in a figurative way, not in a idea uh, ideological way, like it really in in a spiritual sense, the soul of America is on the line, right? And I think once you realize that the soul of America has always been on the line, I think the the next realization that you go to is what is the best solution for that problem? The best solution for that problem is not Joe Biden. And the best solution for that problem is not Donald Trump. It is not the Republican Party. It is not the Democratic Party. It is not higher taxes or lower taxes. It's not any of that stuff. Right? I see. So it's libertarian. <laughs> it's nothing. Just absolute freedom. <laughs> no, like, if the soul of the country really is at stake, right? Who is supposed to be the agent of that salvation is Christ, but how that salvation, the agent of that agent is the church. Mm, mm -hmm. And so when you think about like this, that, those are the stakes. The stakes is the soul of America, but like how, how you win th that bet is not through political or 
ideological re- rhetoric is mm-hmm. it's through the church. Yeah. And if the church is unable to uh, to in essence bring the gospel to people because it is not unified, then we already lost. Like then we then the soul of America really is lost. And I think that's so why the- it's important to have this conversation because like again, like you were saying, like at if, if the narrative, if that's a narrative, right? And, and if those are the stakes, then it becomes like 10 times more important that we work on the unity of the church and that we intentionally try to figure out how to unite the church, right? Because if not, like, not that the game is like, the game is never lost with God, right? Like, yeah. like God is not on our time. But like, if, if we are supposed to be the biggest agents of change and we're supposed to be the the bringers of the gospel and we're diminished in our ability to do that because of the church being unified then it's a problem which and and that's not even an opinion that's like literally when jesus in the book of john when he's praying for his future disciples and he says like god like let him be one just like you and i are one so that people will know that you sent me like Jesus understood this idea perfectly. Like the people would know that the Christ had been sent because this group of men and women were going to be one. And so, yeah, the stakes are high. They've always been high. The stakes have been the same from the beginning. Like we are talking about people's souls. But but again, like we keep going to to these places to try to solve that particular problem. And, and again, like it's not going to be solved by those things. Now, you know, if we think in extremes, like if we were under like an oppressive regime, just like in North Korea or whatever, or if this were to come, become communist Russia, as everybody claims or whatever, like would, it, would, that be, <laughs> would that be harder? Yes, right? Like it totally would be harder. However, we're not there. I don't know that that's what's going to become. And even if we were there, the stakes would still be the same. The church would have to find a way to be unified and bring the gospel to people. So then the necessary question becomes, if, if we know, if we can, between the four of us, truly, you know, the genesis of the savior of all mankind in America right now, if we have decided and have agreed that, that the solution is not through this political ideologue and this political conversation, what... What form of unity is necessary? Like, what, what, what then does the unity have to look like? Because I agree. Like, I, I and, and I think, and this, this is completely understandable because I have felt this way in different things. I completely understand a Christian's heart, somebody who's bound by Christ, to look at the political landscape, to look at candidates and say, this person does not re- represent I think godly values and if he's in charge of the whole nation then the whole nation will slide in godly values and obviously godly values doesn't doesn't matter to people who you know aren't Christians per se in the grand scheme but it just makes the whole fight harder so as a Christian I need to speak up I've had Christians Christians that I, I respect deeply and greatly say like yeah I think Jesus would defend the weak and the oppressed and that he would go out there and he would protest and Jesus would be politically active. And the, the statement that Jesus would defend the weak and oppressed is not wrong, is correct. So I can see why people think that it's important to be part of the political conversation. And something that you say, that 
maybe I don't fully align with, but I completely understand is that, yeah, there's some political, it's okay to have political conversation. It's okay to be part of the political opinion. Um, but if that's not the solution, then, then what is? Because I agree that being part of the political conversation isn't necessarily, you know, how the church is unified and brings the gospel to the people. So what will that unity look like? And how does the church be unified in that? Well, the best answer I can give you, right, and I think what, what, what exactly it looks like is Romans 12, 13, and 14. And I already alluded to Romans 12, which is, you know, in it, uh, Paul talks about, like, you know, um, love one another sincerely and be hospitable to one another and honor one another and serve one another and all of this stuff, right? And let me, let me do say this, uh, sort of reiterating on this whole idea of being conformed to Christ, even though Paul doesn't mention Jesus' name once in Romans 12, like, He's basically <laughs> alluding to to Jesus's life. Like that is, yeah. he's saying like, be Christ-like. Like the way, same way that Jesus treated the people, the very people that murdered him. Like you treat people that way, right? Um, but also, uh, the, and I say this. Uh, let me provide some context for Romans twelve, thirteen, and fourteen, because a, it's really important for us to understand that this whole idea of unity was of particular interest to Paul, mainly because the churches that he involved himself with, uh, by and large, except for a couple of them, were, were mostly made up of Jews and Gentiles. And this created a huge problem because of the history of those two groups of people. And I'm not, I don't, for the sake of time, I don't want to super delve into this because we could do a whole podcast on this alone. But let me yeah. say this. When... Uh, when the Jews thought about bad people and when they thought about groups of people who were going to be the recipients of God's terrible judgment, who they thought of was the Gentiles. Oof. Like that is the esteem in which they held the Gentiles to. Like it was not only like, oh, there goes those people, but it's like those people are going to receive the wrath of God. Like, that's how bad they are. And so I say that because when the kingdom of God is open to this group of people, from the get-go, you have a problem. Because you have literally centuries of history in which uh, you weren't really a bad Jew until you, until you were compared to the Gentiles. Like, mm. like, when you think about when God exiled the Jews and destroyed Jerusalem is when they were at the most Gentile that they could be. And so, like, the worst Jew that you could be was a Gentile-like Jew. And all of a sudden, right, is like, no, these are your brothers and sisters. Like, you are now part of the same kingdom, right? And all, off the bat, you have, like, this problem that, that felt like at, at least from what we can tell in, in the epistles, it felt like it was a moral problem. Like, these people are immoral, we're moral, and, and vice versa, right? And so I'm not going to hearken on Romans 12 because I talked about the video and I mentioned it here, but I do want to read this. This is in Romans 14, right? Uh, and I'm just going to read a, a small paragraph here. 
This is uh, Romans 14, verses 1 through... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure when I'm going to stop, but this is starting in verse 1. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith... And again, the, the, the context here is this whole idea of... One of the big problems was, like, what do we do about food sacrifice to idols, right? And Paul basically says, like, hey, like, idols aren't real. So if people want to eat food sacrifice to idols, it's basically up to their conscience, right? <laughs> and it says, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Like, meaning, like, somebody who believes that uh, eating food sacrifice to idols is, is bad. Like, it's, it's, a, it's an immoral thing, all right? Welcome him, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may, uh, he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the only one who eats despise the one who abstains, and not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord, so then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be the Lord both of the dead and the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, you who despise your brother? For we will stand before the judgment of, God, uh, of the seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow and, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. And again, specifically in the context of this scripture, mm -hmm. what this hindrance or stumbling block that Paul is talking about is opinion. Like what someone's opinion is about a particular day of the week, about a particular food, about a particular thing. He's saying like, hey, don't pass judgment on one another. And again, he's reiterating something that we've brought up here like two or three times already, that at the end of the day, what matters is how we stand before the Lord. And let me, um, well, I'll let you guys talk and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll close this out here in a minute. Um, it, it seems to me that there's a, there's a discrepancy between the way the Bible speaks about unity and the way we talk about unity in our yes. churches and in our society. Um, you know, when we, when we talk about unity, I, I think we, we need to have like a redefinition uh, or, or maybe, <laughs> or, or maybe uh, allow our understanding of unity to be more aligned with God's and the Bible because yes. when we fight for unity in, in, in our society, it, it seems like what we're doing is, is we are just... We're looking uh, to remove those who think differently. We, we're looking, right, we're, we're, it's almost like we're really looking for uniformity rather than uh, the unity that the Bible talks about, but, but they, they can look very similar. So what we're trying to do is we're trying to like, uh, I don't know, just exile those who, who kind of mess with our way of thinking. Um, and um, 
you know, the, the, the biblical definition uh, of, of unity to me, it, it seems like it's, it's less about, it, it's, it's less about getting a bunch of people that think the same rather it's with all the differences, how does this community survive in the way they behave towards one another? Yes. Right. right. Um, like I, I think about in, in, in Romans 14, but I also think about it in Ephesians chapter 3, where you just have a bunch of people who just think so differently about the world. They view it so differently. But the power of the gospel is that when you have people who think so differently, they're still able to love one another, to do community together. Um, this, and at no point is the Bible trying to change the way they think in many of those things. Right, like really, what what they're trying to get them to change is how they view who the king of their personal life is. Uh, but but when it comes to their political perceptions or, or whatever it is, like the Bible doesn't even address this stuff. Right. You know? and, and exactly. You have to understand that yeah, and unity is not homogeneity. Right. Like, exactly. That's, that's the bottom line. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, when I think about what makes this so complicated, what makes this conversation so complicated, is that nobody is telling themselves, I don't care about unity, I'm okay with being divisive. The problem with this is that everyone is like on this push for unity. But the problem is that they say like, no, you're being divisive, I'm trying to unify by changing the way you think. Right, right, right. That, that's the problem. That's why it's, it becomes so difficult for us. And I think everyone needs to take a step back and be like, it's not about me changing the way that you think. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether you think abortion is... Uh, should be lawful or not lawful. By, by that I mean, like, are those things important? Yes, but if you think completely differently, that means it does not change the fact that Jesus is the Lord of your life and you're doing what you can to glorify him. It doesn't mean that we can't do that sort of community together. You know, and, and, and when we can have two people who in society are on the complete opposite ends of the spectrum and, and in our society would never find themselves sitting around the table together like, you know, enjoying life together. When they when that is seen in the church, that's when outsiders look in and, and, and they ask, what, "What? How have you accomplished this? Right? How, how is it that you've accomplished? You know, Bill O'Reilly and like I, I don't know Colbert sitting in the room together, like just enjoying life together. Like those two guys are just complete opposite in how they think. They make fun of each other all the time. You know what I mean? How do you have Biden and and, and Trump and, and Hillary sitting down? holidaying together like that doesn't happen that just doesn't right. happen uh, and, and those views don't have to change and i think that's when we we start to uh, strive for for biblical unity it has nothing to do with in my from what i understand with with with, with our, our different way of understanding things and, and seeing things and our opinions like it, that, that has nothing to do with it um and I think that's how we have to reshape our conversation on unity and how we strive for it. You know what I mean, Nathan? When you mentioned the public, like uh, the, the the public outing of like the way you think is so wrong. Like to me, that that that's the kind of divisive nature, mm-hmm. right? Because we we are we're reflecting what the world reflects. Where if yeah. you don't agree with me, you're a lesser than. Or if you don't agree yeah. with me, then then I, I like I can't be okay with you. And that's when it becomes so problematic. I think Jesus will look at that and be like, so what if they think differently than you? <laughs> like, like, I can still be their king, you know? And so many of these things, like, I don't, I don't know. I think I can go on about that, but... Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll say something. I, I think uh, the scripture you brought up uh, there in Romans, I, I think it's so applicable, so useful of uh, modern day, uh, to, to parallel to modern day, 
you know, I think what stands out to me is unity is hard. Um, if that's what we're being called to is hard because if you put yourself in their shoes, like, you know, the, the, uh, the arena of, of idols and just kind of like Gentile customs would have just been appalling, would have just been like just so opposite, so, such a no, a no go for, for a Jew. And, and now Paul's saying like, you know, to, to kind of look past that or, you know, and, and to like, don't put the weight on it that, that you would have previously uh, because of Christ. And, you know, we have that today, I think, you know, like, I think the way we're, we're set up is, is very much in a way that if, if I'm a, a, you know, for example, if I'm a Biden supporter and uh, the next person's a Trump supporter in our culture, like those create immediate like hostilities of just like we're complete opposite ends of the spectrum i can't even like be in the same room with you and what the bible is telling us is is to is to look past that and you're not attempting to as you know if you're a biden supporter then you know try to find other biden supporters to be with actually the the church is gonna look like uh, you know, a bunch of supporters on on different ends of the spectrum, but but they have the the spiritual maturity to to really know what what is supreme above those things. And I think what it teaches us is 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 understanding what is actually important. And right. you know, I think about Jewish and Gentile customs as they were in the first century, and we we read it today. And it seems archaic. It seems like, like they're they're talking about food being being, you know, uh, worship to idols. Like it sounds silly to us, but but yet we have our own version of that today, and it's gonna sound really yeah. silly in about a hundred years or you know whatever. And and I think like as Christians, we just we we have to get a grip of like. What, what is actually important and and have the maturity to you know uh, overlook or, or to bear with you know how much how much do we hear Paul saying bear with one another it's like yep. those kind of words like I think we always understood but then when you're talking about it in this context it's just like it makes it new it's like oh, okay I, I get like why Paul had to say bear with one another yeah yeah, like it wasn't just about like, you know, this person's kind of rude. Yeah. So I still got to yeah. bear with like them. It it, now about it's like, about like you know, ideologies, kind of and you know, to so play the devil's advocate and to earn my pay here, uh, I, I think I've what's been challenging. Waiting. I've been I was, waiting. I think what's oh, I have so much, but running out of time. What what's challenging about this idea is that the the, the Christians, these adult mature Christians for many years, that are speaking up now. Right? They have the cognizance to know that I'm bound by Christ, my identity is Christ, and that I need to be unified in the church, that they know those things. So the challenging thing is, as we talk and it's plain and clear to you guys, that really we need to look beyond that, we need to take steps back and understand that Christ is the Lord, is that I, I understand that these Christians are thinking to themselves that, man, if I'm bound by Christ and I'm unified with my brother, how can my brother support somebody who thinks that abortion is okay 
if we know that Christ says that murder, heck, not even murder, just being angry is not okay. How, 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 how is that unity? And how can you believe in somebody? And how can you vote for somebody who believes that something is okay? That's just not a Christian concept. Like, that's not unity. And I think that's the challenging bit. Like, I think, I think for those people, exactly what Johnny is saying is like, unity to me is not, hey, we have different opinions, we come together. It's, it's that we need to agree on the same things. And if, you don't, if we don't agree on the same things, then you're causing, you know, you're causing division. And I, I just think, I, I can see why people think that. Like, they get so caught up in this idea of like, no, this is a moral, this isn't a political, they'll go to the extent where it's like, this is not a political opinion. It is a moral, Christian, Christ-like, biblical, godly opinion that abortion is wrong. And it should be, like it should never be legalized. And, and that's where people can get caught up. And, and I think, and I just have to reiterate, because I'm, you know, you guys are older than me, and I was raised with your generation, because there was a gap. When I was growing up in our, my church in South Florida, there was a gap. So there wasn't many people in my grade. There's people below my grade and people above my grade. And I stuck with you guys. And so now my contemporaries, they just think differently. Like I, you know, it may sound pretentious, but I'm not a millennial. I just don't identify with my no, generation. No, you are. I'm not, dude. You could say it. I'm not a millennial, man. I just, and, and the issue, I, I think I, it's just they're all out here and they're just saying things. And I think with people my age are just saying random stuff, like completely random stuff. But the adults are saying different things. I think the issue, I think the solution is exactly what Rodrigo is saying. And that, like, there needs to be a focus on it. But there needs to be an understanding. Because I think, you know, I could think to myself, hey, we're just supposed to love one another. That's easy. That's scriptural. That's biblical. That's like tenet number one easy but there's a reason that works there's a reason like it like the idea is like i think about jesus and what was jesus's whole game plan was it to become a political figure to inspire revolution and to lead a movement he did that in essence but what was his game plan in my opinion and i i this might get me off the podcast but in my opinion <laughs> i think jesus's game plan was 12 dudes. I think his game plan was 12 guys that I will teach and then they will go and they will serve one person at a time. And those people will love other people. And, and, and what Johnny said, and this is like, this is always on my mind. Like I've been looking at Jesus' ministry as holistically as I can. How many political stances did he take? I can only think of two. One, he talks about taxes. And he says it very dismissively. It's like, hey, pay your taxes to whoever's... Like, this is not important. The other one, he, took part, he partook in a judicial ceremony. Except he didn't really partake in it. He didn't offer defense. He didn't offer evidence. He wasn't part of the judicial process. He just sat there and he said nothing. And then he said, I am who, I, who you say I am. And in, from what I know, there's just this lack of concern of the political stance. And make no mistake, I think, again, what the millennials get wrong, like... Man, it is not as bad now as it was in the first century. Not even close. And I think what, what, what's happening is people are getting caught up in the fight for, pol for public opinion. When Jesus' fight, in my opinion, was a fight not only for the people, but for people. For, and the idea is like what, what, is, what, is, what scholars use as... as as pretty convincing evidence that Christianity is a real thing, and that's why it's the number one most spread religion across the world, with many denominations, sure, 
is because there was an explosion of the religion after the purported time of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And the ideal is that it was a one-on-one, one-another, serving, loving thing. And I think agape, embodied and empowered by the Holy Spirit that was promised to us, that Jesus had to go away to send the helper. I think, you know, we... I think Christians can think like, no, we need to be part of this public opinion because like Rodrigo is saying, this is a fight for the nation's soul. I think it's hard for us to have the faith and to have the understanding that the battle is won, one another. It's won by agape, that we go and we serve and we love. And even though now, and, and, and I think when my whole theory falls apart is if we exegetically look at Jesus' ministry, is Jesus preaching in the streets? If I take that in its context and apply it to today's context, is that the equivalent of him posting a tweet? Is that the equivalent of him posting a YouTube video? <laughs> if that's the case, then I'm completely wrong. But from my understanding, Jesus spent, he spent a good amount of his time preaching, but he spent most of his time just hanging out with tax collectors and the sick and healing and serving and one-on-one and spending the, spending the night at these people who are purportedly sinners, well, definitely sinners. And and, and, and I really believe what I think my generation is missing is that if we focus, we can feel the stakes of being part of the political conversation. But really, I think God's design of the kingdom is that if you love one another and you have true agape love and it is reflected when you bring them into your home and then they can see the kingdom, that even though it's not efficient, not technically, logistically, sociologically efficient, that we can't reach millions of people at one time with a single video like some of these other public opinion and community leaders can, even though it's not efficient, that's the point that God is otherworldly and his love and his reflection and his ambassadors and Christ's embodied in this world will have an otherworldly effect. And I just think that there's a lack of belief and faith in that. And, yeah. and, and I, I think people just get their wires crossed as what are the stakes are. Yeah, let me, uh, let me put a, a nice little bow on this conversation because we are running out of time and this has been awesome. Because um, I do, you know, again, sort of putting things into perspective and understanding the stakes and the, the narrative and everything here, right? Here's the bottom line. Like, Humanity's been having the conversation about morality for as long as humanity's been around. And also, that is a conversation that apparently the church in Rome was having, because they were very concerned about the morality of eating food sacrificed to idols and all this other stuff. And uh, let me just close out by saying this. Paul, uh, this is in Romans 13, it's just one verse, it says, Romans 13 verse 10, it says, Love does no wrong to a neighbor, Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. And, and again, the law was, was the, the uh, more moral law. That's the law that he's referring to, right? And he's saying like, hey, ultimately, at the end of the day, what fulfills the law is your love for each other, right? And again, I think these conversations about morality and what's right and what's wrong as a society and politically and all that stuff, are super important but the ultimate morality the one that stands above all of them is love and you know you could quote first corinthians 13 and all that stuff but the bottom line is like what is above everything is are we really loving each other 
So there's that thought. And let me close with this, with this other thought. Ultimately, what we're talking about and sort of how we, we began this, this whole conversation was how unity is ultimately about being conformed to Christ. And when you think about Christ's ministry, right, and talking about the 12, amongst the 12 was a tax collector and a zealot. Like, if you want to talk about two sides of the political spectrum, <laughs> there they are. One who worked for Rome and the other one who wanted to kill them all. And then you have, and then in between that, you have guys who want to take out Rome, but don't believe in the violent aspect of taking out Rome. And the right. zealot is like, that's the only way to do it. Right. And so, and so that, that, was, that was part of Jesus' inner circle. And yet, it all worked... Mm. Because he loved and served them all. And he accepted them all. And both the tax collector and the zealot were part of, they were all chosen to be part of the 12. Like, think about that. We would never do that. Like, if we were to choose a, a group of people, right, and, and, and going back to Johnny's point, usually when we think of unity, we think of like, oh, give me all the people that think just like me. But that's not unity. Yeah. Ultimately, unity, again, is are we like Christ? Like Christ, his ministry was made up of a bunch of different people. And it worked because he loved, accepted, served, and he died for all of them. Mm -hmm. And so ultimately, like unity for, for the church in times like these needs to live in the exact same place. We need to love people whether we agree with them politically or not. And again, all these political conversations are super important. And if we disagree on abortion, right, man, like, I'm still going to love you. And I'm still going to serve you. And I'm still going to be with you. And I'm still going to call you my brother. You can still welcome to come. And we may have a, a quite the argument over this particular topic. But you know what? Like, man, like, I love you. Hmm. Like, that's, that, that, that's, that's the culture that we're supposed to have. And I think ultimately that's a conversation that we're, that we're having here. It's like, yeah, we, we totally need to reframe the whole idea of unity because otherwise like again we're we're lost we are lost and so uh with that let us not be lost and let us be unified uh guys this was awesome uh we are going to do another uh episode on this topic next week and just really explore the whole idea of how do you even begin to do this like what kind of person do you have to be or what kind of uh, character traits or how do you even begin to do this is basically the conversation we're going to have. And uh, for those of you listening, thank you so much for your time and your attention and uh, go in peace.